I'm Jeffrey Grossenbach. It's the Ruby on Rails podcast, January 30, 2008. You're listening to Chris Wanstroth, who is half of Air Free, together with PJ Hyatt. I recently sat down with them in San Francisco to talk about some new projects they've recently launched and new ones that they have planned for the next year. What's up, Ruby and Rails podcast, still in San Francisco with PJ Hyatt, Chris Wanstroth of Air Free Consulting Product Development. Let's start with uh, FamSpam. FamSpam is, is something that we needed. <laughs> it's Google Groups that your mom could use. That's what it is. Short summary. That's, that's what works. Some way to put it. There's one way to put it. It's a way that we're both from the Midwest and we moved out to, to sunny California and my mom had this idea that a blog was something you emailed to everyone once a week. And so it was the family blog. And that everyone had to reply to her blog. And uh, so there was the occasional like dropped email from the CC list. If we get my sister or someone. And then there's the, the, the case of people changing emails. Once my sister got out of grad school, she started using her Gmail account instead of her osu.edu email account. So we just wanted a way to make all that nicer and saw an opportunity there. And just play with email, just set up some IMAP stuff, and put a Rails interface over it, and call it fam spam. So it's two-way emailing. You can just you get the message. You can just reply. Don't even have to touch the website if you don't want to. Right, and that's that was really important for us because my mom, uh, I, I we built fam spam with the understanding that my mom would never use the website, and so I wanted to make sure that we could still have these you know family blogs as. Chris's mom calls it. Um, we can still have the service uh, just entirely through email if that's how they wanted to use it. So, you but can, unfortunately, like my that was the intention. But my dad loves the site. He, like, he well, why is that to, unfortunate? Unfortunately, well, he's using the site. <laughs> we put all this thought into making it email only. My dad is asking for like a dig spy thing. He wants the site to automatically refresh so he can keep it open while he's at work and stuff. <laughs> it's a little bit too far, but we'll take it. Premium feature. Premium feature, yeah. If you want to pay dad, you can all get it. <laughs> Definitely into charging my parents for the site. That's a, that's a big bonus. Finally, after all these years. But, it, I mean, it, the whole concept is, it it does seem like a glorified mailing list. But, so when I was first telling my dad about the idea, he said, well, why couldn't I just go on Yahoo Groups and start a group and put all our family's members into it? And I said, because your wife will use this product that we're building. He said, oh, okay. <laughs> That's all. It's, it's The whole idea is to make it just as dead simple as you possibly can to keep families talking. Yeah, so we, we finished development on it to where we got to a certain point and then we let our families in before we had any sort of talk of a beta or anything, before we even had a logo, and we just let them go at it and started using it for real. And so we had about a month of responding to them and you know, making it a good thing for our families to use that we would actually use and we do use. And uh, that was kind of like the best kind of beta for us because we had a lot of our assumptions totally shattered. Like my dad couldn't figure out how to start a conversation on the site despite the giant start a conversation button. <laughs> so we had to, we had to re- rejigger some things, but it, it turned out uh, pretty well. I mean, after that, we started inviting people in the Rails community in to see who would use it with their family. And then, you know, the launch. We did it all fairly quickly because once we knew that our families 
were using it once we saw them figuring it out we knew that we didn't really have to do much more work to get other families to use it we also did it quickly because we stopped making money consulting yeah <laughs> which was a big motivation, a good motivation to finish and get it out. <laughs> now as a web from the web development side of things if i was going to think of the two things i would least want to do the first would be receiving mail email and the second would be sending email <laughs> how did you get over uh you know, receiving from all these, every format that every phone carrier and email client wants to use. It's it's something that we certainly haven't completely figured out yet because it is so hard. It's We thank God that my sister uses AOL still because there are a lot of very difficult things to deal with as far as how AOL formats its email. Um, not specifically the AOL webmail. That's actually great. The the program itself, the AOL program, does all sorts of horrible things that you would never expect an email client to do. So receiving email is has been and still will be a, a challenge that, that we're going to have to deal with. But as far as sending email, we, we actually decided just to pay a service to do it. We're, we're using Auth SMTP to handle all the all the email delivery just because one thing when we started telling people we wanted to build this service they said well you guys are crazy because you're going to have to start dealing with ISP blacklists and whitelists and just all sorts of horrible things like you know reverse DNS and so we just decided well we don't want to do that so we're just going to pay somebody X number of dollars a month to deal with it so it's actually been great for us we we have never heard of anyone not getting an email. We have heard of people get, receiving fam spam emails in their spam folder, but as long as it gets to them, we can always tell them to check their spam folder. So we're, we're very happy we delegated sending emails to an outside service. But it does suck. It still sucks. It sucks yeah. a huge much compared to just writing a Rails app or some sort of simple web app. It is definitely difficult. We had the, also, with our beta, we invited all these Rails developers and their families, so we went through all the emails they sent and just looked at the formatting and figured out a whole bunch of stuff that way, too, because they're all using different services in different countries and whatnot. So we were able to get this set, this sample set of all these different emails that we could have never have guessed on our own. We found a whole bunch of bugs and formatting quirkiness that way. So it's definitely an uphill battle, I think. Uh, I can remember two months in... Wondering why the hell did we build yeah. an application that revolved around email? <laughs> because it really is a pain in the ass, unfortunately. Um, so I'm not sure we knew exactly what we were getting ourselves into, but you know the service is built now, so we're just dealing with all the quirks. Well, I was I've been talking to a couple startups this week, and I'm interested. Yes, it seemed like you built this for your your own use and for families, but do you have any goal? Do you have? Do you want to say, hey, we want to be able to work on this one day a week and have that pay our bills for uh, for one day a week, or or will this be a bigger part of your business? Well, when we when we left CNET, we thought we'd try out consulting, and it turns out we don't actually like to consult. Um, <laughs> you still have a boss in a sense when you're consulting. You still have somebody to report to. So ideally, the products that we make, like Fam Spam and you know whatever else we're coming up with next, will allow us to do that full time. 
and not have to go back to consulting. So that's the goal? That is the goal, yes. Speaking of which, you do have some other products. I'll let you choose which ones you want to talk about, <laughs> but uh, some other things aimed at developers, and uh, so you're going to have kind of the range of consumer all the way to developer as far as your products. Yeah, we're trying to scratch as many itches as we have um, with as much time as we can muster right now because we're working. We're not doing any consulting right now. We're just okay. You're full time on our apps. So we left CNET and we spent um, five days a week or whatever working as much as we could, saving up as much money we could, so that we could take off a whole bunch of time and just focus on you know, the business. Because we really want this to be uh, a business that we can you know, put a lot of time into, make money off, make enough money off of it that we can make it good. You know, we don't want to ever stop improving FanSpam. In particular, FanSpam, we've got a lot of ideas for features that you know weren't really version one features. We want to add. And it's commonly asked for, like, a calendar thing, you know. For instance, when I'm coming to town for Christmas, I want to be able to make a simple note somewhere and say what days I'm going to be in town and have everyone see that. Just just basic stuff that is really complementary to the core, which is you know, staying in touch with your family. <clears throat> but, yeah, we have some other stuff that, that we're working on. I think um, there is this uh, new thing called Git that people are using, and it's not really an air-free production. It's more uh, me and Tom Preston-Warner who did Chronic and God and Gravatar. But PJ uh, will be involved very shortly, especially when the building part comes in, <laughs> whether he likes it or not. <laughs> but uh, so I don't think we've really talked about any... We, As far as our company goes, Airfree, there is at least uh, one or two other products that we've started working on that we've started making commits to, but we're not really ready to like talk about them yet because who knows if we actually go through with them. Right. Would you agree with that? I, I wouldn't... I. Uh... I wouldn't put it out of the question of air free charging for a plug-in or two. <laughs> I don't I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> <laughs> there might be something coming out that's gonna be totally kick ass that you will want to pay a little bit of money for because it'll be amazing. It takes so much time off your hands that we're using for our own sites. So yeah, what I mean what we try and do is figure out what we keep doing over and over again and kind of roll that up, right? It's the goal of every developer. And so in making these sites, like FamSpam and uh, this new Git-related site that's coming out, we've realized there's certain things that we're doing over and over again that are not specific to the site. <clears throat> that could be a plugin or something, but it could be like a really, really good plugin or some sort of standalone little mongrel thing that apply to all websites. So without getting too crazily abstract for it, we're going to definitely come out with something there. But uh, I could talk about GitHub, which is the most amazing website that's going to come out in 2008. Because Fan was launched in 2007. Okay. <laughs> there it comes. No, it's basically the people who are not familiar. Git is the distributed source control management version something system. So it's basically like um, subversion, but instead of your repository being hosted on a server, you have your own local copy of the repository. And there are many, many copies of repositories, all forks, and it sounds very strange, but once you start using it, or get a solid use case, it becomes almost obvious. The the, the perfect example being, maybe um, I wanted to patch one of your, one of Mr. Grossenbach's many projects. Um, let's say they were hosted on RubyForge with Git. Instead of me checking it out from Git and running a patch and running a diff on it and piping that to some patch file and sending it to you, and you looking over the patch and then manually applying it using the patch the command line tool, what I would do is I would fork your repository I would make my changes, I would commit them, 
I would publish my repository somewhere, which is the hard part right now, right? Because I'd have to set up a, a Git daemon or something. And then I would say, hey, Jeff, uh, pull, I, here's, I have a pull request. You know, please pull from me. I made these changes, you know. And you can go into your command line, into your Git repo. You can make a new branch. You can pull in my changes, check out my patch, check out my code, run your tests or whatever. And then if you want to, merge them into your code. Or, you know, email me back and say, hey, it's not going to work out. And it kind of streamlines the whole patch and collaboration process. But... There's a couple kinks in it right now, right? People are trying to do it. Rubinius is using Git. Um, Merb is now using Git. A lot of Rails developers are using, I think, uh, Technomini Rick Olson switched all his crap to his plugins, his amazing plugins. <laughs> I don't mean to say it like that. <laughs> Rick Olson switched all his plugins, his amazing plugins to Git recently. And so a lot of people are starting to try it out and see that it's, it's really cool, especially for open source, which is this thing that we spend so much time on. But the, the roadblocks are publishing your own Git repository, you know, kind of automating this this pull request process, watching the, like, if I fork your repository and I want to keep developing on mine locally, I still want to watch what's going on with yours. And so in the past, we've tried to solve this by, we have this air the blog thing called Subtlety, which is broken right now, but we'll be fixed. An RSS feed for your commits. Right, so that, <clears throat> from, an, from a subversion repository, can generate an RSS feed. And that's one way to watch what is going on, but that's still a problem that, you know, we all want to know this code that we depend on, what's, what's it doing. So... The solution to the Git problem is GitHub, which has turned into a... I mean, I'm excited about it because it's exactly what I want. It, like, it's really awesome for open source. We use it for fan spam. It's great for, for private repositories. We developed GitHub itself using GitHub. So there's another private repository there. And uh, It's it, super meta. It's so meta. It's unbelievable. Um, I'm actually levitating five feet above the floor right now. I'm <laughs> not touching any chair or anything. But... It, it automates this, so I can see your. You ho- it's basically you get a, a browser, right? Like track. So you would host your uh, plugin there, your your project there, your Ruby gem there. I would go to top funky slash whatever gruff whatever it may be. I'd um, I click fork. I, if I have an account right away, I've got a copy. I've got a fork of your um, of your gruff gem there. So it's now defunct or Chris Wanstrass slash gruff. I commit to it, and then I uh, I go to yours and I say pull from this patch. Here's this commit I want you to check out. You know, you'll get a little notification in your news feed, your uh, your little your RSS feed, and it'll tell you that hey, Chris forked it, and he made this patch, and he wants you to check it out. Then you would go back into the normal Git workflow where you do a Git pull from your command line, you check out my patch there, you run your tests, and then you commit it or what or what have you, or reject it. <clears throat> so the the goal being that you know keep track of what repositories you forked from and have forked from you. Keep track of this little ecosystem that builds around your open source project, and then be able to tell people that you have a, a something they may want or know when something has something know when someone has something you may want in a in a you know pretty streamlined and uh, efficient interface. Efficient in that like we're all used to RSS and that sort of thing. So we might as well just add another piece of crap to the uh, to the inflow of information. It seems like that's a huge piece in using Git. Initially I didn't you know, I heard a lot of people talking about Git, and I just thought, well, I'm pretty comfortable with Subversion. You know, I was trying to put it off as far as, as long as I can, but then you kept blogging about it, and other people kept mentioning it, so I thought, well, I guess I'd better learn this. And, uh, you know, now I really like it, and it's not just the distributed nature of it, it's that whole, th- you know, it's a different way of thinking about source code control, which for me, especially trying to get a lot of, receive a lot of patches, you've got to merge you got to, you know, in Subversion, you'd have to merge. Hopefully it merges successfully, and then maybe you can try out the patch. But here, you know, I could check out someone's full branch at the time that they made their changes. 
run whatever tests within that branch and then decide if I want to merge it back in with the official. Oh yeah, it's amazing. And it's great for exactly the, the kinds of things that yeah, you're talking about. But it's also great because you can do the subversion model. Like PJ and I, for FamSpam, we have one FamSpam repository that we both commit to. We both push yeah. to the same repository. So we can actually do the subversion thing better than subversion and do the distributed thing <laughs> That's really true. awesome too. That's true. I talked to a few people who said, well, yeah, why would I ever use Git? I would just use the same things that it does and, you know, I, I wouldn't use the distributed features. Well, that's okay. You could right. just use it like you use Subversion now, and it was still... Yeah, it would be faster. be faster. For what that matters, you know. Faster, offline committing, and extremely easy branching is certainly enough reason to switch as far as I'm concerned. Or at least try it out. It's so cheap to well, just try it out. Well, if you try it out, you're basically going to switch. Let's <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Probably. But the other thing about what you're talking about is, like, um, there's a bunch of hosting, free Git hosting solutions out there already. There's, like, the repo one, which is repo dot some cryptic obscure... Check Slovakia or something. Yeah, yeah. That the same Git website is the same suffix. But there, you register a project. So you register, like, the god.rd project, or you register the gruff project. That's not how Git works. Like, it should be Top Funky's version of gruff or Mojambo's version of God. And I can have my own version of God that, you know, if I have a patch that you don't want to accept but fixes a problem that PJ has, there's no reason he can't just fork my repository and take in my patch in the same manner which he could take in yours. So, like, that's really what we want is no central version of any sort of project. It's Gruff then becomes, your Gruff repository is the official one only because you're the dude who pushes out the gem. It's kind of social at that point for what that's worth. And... You know, that's what we want. That's what we want to be able to do. I want to maintain different forks I have of plugins and whatnot because maybe I wanted to add some sort of custom, uh, I don't know, feature or cropping or something, and I don't want that. I don't necessarily want to submit that back to the maintainer, but I want to keep that forever because I want to use it in my own projects. So it does all that sort of stuff. Well, you can even look at something like Rails. They have The core team has intentionally said that they don't want gigantic patches, and so that kind of puts the stop to certain features that people may want to build into it. With the Git model, somebody could just go on, fork it, implement all these experimental features, people would try it out if they want, and uh, you know maybe it would get enough popularity to eventually then be rolled back into the core. That, exactly, I mean, Rails is a great example of something that could probably benefit from Git uh, in the same way that the kernel, the Linux kernel right now uses Git, and it's like Linus is at the center. No one ever pushes to his repository. He just pulls from other people. And then he has this small circle of lieutenants, seven or eight guys, each of which manage a subsystem of Linux. There's like a networking guy or a file system guy. And then those guys are the ones that actually create patches and say, hey, Linux, pull this. And what they have is underneath them another whole circle of people who are working on certain specific parts of networking or certain specific drivers, and they're working with day to day. And there's no reason that Rails couldn't be the same way with you know experimental branches or let's say people are working on where I know for a fact people are working on multi-threading right now on Rails, just see what they can do. You know, that could be a whole line, a whole branch that one guy is pioneering, and it's not even David or anyone. People can submit patches to him and work with him in collaboration, and they can have their own, their own Git little ecosystem that's apart from Rails separate, but eventually they'll make a stab at getting it in. It would be really, it would really be great for Rails to use it. And on that note, Merv, um, the Merv guys just released point five, and they're working on refactoring now, which is going to jump them to point nine. And they're kind of modularizing and pulling in all the bits that matter to this Merv core gem. And then all the stuff that's like Hamel and the different rendering engines are just going to hook into this gem from the Merv more gem and the other gems. And what they're doing is they're using Git for it, which is you know awesome. 
And hopefully in the future they're going to continue to use Git once their refactoring is finished and kind of, instead of having, um, I mean, I don't know their plans, but the way Merv works is basically you, you prove your stuff, you get commit bit to the subversion repository. <clears throat> and while that's great, they might not even need to do that with, with Git. They could just have it done the way the Linux kernel does it and have a couple guys who control the gem and who really know certain parts of Merv and then have a whole bunch of people just submitting patches through their own hosted Git repositories, which would be cool. I mean, it's fun, it's easy, it's fast, it's colorful. You can use GitHub, which looks amazing. <laughs> it's definitely not a bad thing. Well, one of the other things that I have tried to keep from learning, but you keep using it and blogging about it along with other people, is jQuery. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Chris just likes to irritate people, I've come to find out. <laughs> I'm certainly no exception to that. <laughs> Maybe I should start with, you know, how do you keep on top of all this? jQuery's been out for a couple of years, it's not a brand new thing, and uh, you must go through a regular process of evaluating different options to say, hey, is this better than what I'm currently using? Are we going meta again? This is another limitation. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, how, do, how does PJ, how does Air the Blog stay Air the Blog, I guess? Is that the question? Right. <laughs> um, with Git and whatnot. I mean, I don't know. These, we have this small community of, of people, of Rails web developers, right? Of Ruby developers. Guys doing Rails, guys doing Merv. And it's not like I'm out going out there looking for different JavaScript libraries. It's just, like you said, I, you continuously hear people talking about things like Git and, and whatnot. And you just have to make time to, to try these things out every once in a while. Because a lot of times you're going to try something out and you're not going to like it. But there's so many times you try something out like Git and it just totally changes the way you work. It totally changes your development process. Which, you know, it translates directly into time and money. Like, it saves you a lot of time doing open source, but it saves you a lot of time doing real development too. Like, I used Git over the summer in all my consulting projects. And I tried to switch as many people as I could over to Git just because it's a faster, better way to do it, in my opinion. And, you know, that translates directly into how much you can get done. If I had to add up all the hours I sat waiting for a subversion commit to go through, I think it would actually be quite ridiculous. <laughs> because that's not, it seems really quick, but when you start using Git, you realize that's a really slow process. When I'm doing little changes to CSS and design, I shouldn't need to wait for the server to be like, hey, thumbs up. I should just be able to rock and go through it and just do it instantly. So, yeah, I mean, I'm always looking for ways to change my workflow for the better and to make my development environment and the, the products I release kick ass. I mean, that's, that's why everyone's using RSpec and whatnot now, right? They, they took the time, they, they tried out a little project on the side, or they were involved in a Rails project where someone decided, hey, we're going to use BDD now, maybe. Like, we were using TestUnit before, now we're going to switch to RSpec and try it out. And they either like it or they didn't. I mean, lots of people tried RSpec and didn't like it, but a ton of people tried RSpec and did like it. So, on that note, that's just, you know, that's what I do, that's what PJ does, and I'm sure that's what a lot of, of developers do. Is this is something that we do as a hobby, and we're fortunate enough to be able to turn it into like a full-time job, and hopefully for us, a successful business. But it's still at the core of it. It's still a hobby. It's still something we do when we have free time. You know, when we go home over Christmas break, we may, a lot of us will be like, all right, you know, this is break, no work. And so what are we doing? We're trying to get in jQuery, right? Because <laughs> that's not work. That's exactly what happens. I think there's definitely something to be said when you, you have this new project you're thinking about starting and you actually reflect on what what you've been using in the past. Now, prototype and scriptaculous may be the de facto standard for Rails, but are they the best uh, JavaScript libraries to be using? And well, it's they not may be. be. They may be. Best is so subjective, though. I mean, at this point, 
they're they're kick ass, but so is Mood Tools and so is YUI. It's like which one do you like the most? I think. Well, right. Well, yeah. all I'm saying is is given the opportunity to evaluate other products, I think that's super important because you may find that especially in fam spam's case we found jquery to be extremely useful and just a pleasure to write javascript in so i'm very happy that we you know took the extra time obviously there's a learning curve but i'm glad we took the extra time to learn a new framework just because i'm i'm happy that we decided to do it because i like programming javascript in jquery so yeah, the way that typically goes is I find something new, I try it out, I show it to PJ, PJ says I'm an idiot, <laughs> and then from that point, I either accept that I'm an idiot, and I throw it away, and it just goes into the dust, or I keep pushing, and then he tells me I'm an idiot again, and then eventually, it gets to the point where we have this other branch where it either is really crap, and I was just caught up in the hype, or it turns into something that we both decide is cool, and jQuery is one of these examples. He didn't necessarily say I was an idiot, but you know, I was way into it, and I get very enthusiastic about new, th- cool things. <laughs> And I kept pushing and pushing, and it's legitimately a really cool, different way of writing JavaScript than some of the other libraries that are out there. It's all selector-based. It's all based around the DOM. It's all based around elements. It's all based around a single namespace. And, I mean, a lot of things they do, um, a lot of JavaScript people probably snub their nose at. Like, that's, oh, that's bad style, or that's insane. But, you know what? It's a kick-ass library, so maybe you're insane, man. (laughs) (laughs) So that sounds like a good business pair. you got the optimist and the pessimist <laughs> that's, and that, somehow I would agree with that yes you don't cancel out but somehow end up it's something better well I wouldn't say that our business relationship is the most healthy I mean we argue a lot about <laughs> stuff there are, I mean there are there are features on fam spam that we have gotten in arguments like really heavy heated arguments just on, you know... We've never quit, though. We've never gotten to the point where we quit. I'm always thinking this is it. But it's never <laughs> You know, you sit down, you have a beer, and you say, I'm sorry, that should have never have escalated. But, <laughs> but no, I think ultimately the, the discussions and the, the differences of opinions and the different personalities help make our products and our code better in the long run. So I actually... I appreciate the fact that we don't always agree on everything. It took me a long time for... To, to actually get Chris to convince me to even try Git, I I was just like you. I didn't I didn't want to bother with it. You know, I didn't have any. I had no problem using Subversion, but long time is it was months. Long time is an understatement. <laughs> months, <laughs> yeah, months, months in the internet world. It is decades. So yeah, uh, but you know, he finally convinced me to use it, and I'm glad I did. So it's, yeah, we we have a good little relationship like that, and that's why we decided to leave CNET and work together because we realized that. You know, we're, we're, we're friends, and we also are into the same things, and we have this sort of uh, polar opposite thing going where we kind of make each other a little bit more level-headed. Who knows what we would each be like on our own? <laughs> you know, I heard no bodies, both of us, so I can't even imagine if it was just me. It would probably be a lot more, probably a lot less intelligible, a lot less relevant, <laughs> <laughs> way more obscure, hyperactive. But yeah, we definitely it, it definitely comes through, I think, in, in the stuff that we make and the plugins and the code we write. Like, every plugin that we have, right, some of them, let's say Saki, it says my name on it, because I wrote the code, but there's an error post on it that has my name on it, too. It's not like that post didn't get read by PJ, and we didn't have discussions, and he didn't know Saki was going on the entire time it was going on. So everything that we do is, is we're both heavily involved in, which I don't know if that really comes through, but, yeah, that's the, that's the way it works. Okay, I don't want to drag this on too long, but this is interesting. I have to... Uh opinion on one of the things you wrote ambition 
which is a different interface to database interaction. After having written Ambition, do you still feel like that's the way to go, kind of a very pure Ruby type look to things? Well, I'm glad you bring it up because it's way more than that at this point. Um, it's more than that. It's more than that at this point. <laughs> Hopefully by the time this is up, there'll be a, a blog post and a new gem, a 0.5 gem. But we've, we've taken it a step above, and now it's a generic Ruby interface to anything. So what the Ambition gem is, is it's like this weird API around the parse tree. So you can use it to very simply write adapters for anything. So now there's an ambitious active record adapter. There's an ambitious active LDAP ad- uh, adapter. People are working on an ambitious Sphinx adapter. And, you know, it was a hack at first because I hard-coded the SQL into the actual code that does the parse tree, tree stuff. But over the last couple months, I've spent some time and I've abstracted all that. And so now you have these little hooks that you can write into and generate strings or hashes from. And the active record adapter, it's not special anymore. It's not ambition. Ambition itself is this, like, API around the parse tree. So um, hopefully the one I've been working on lately is this ambitious YouTube adapter, which wraps the, the YouTube gem. And so you'll be able to say, you know videos.select and then pass in a, a video uh, local to the block and then say like video.tag equals leopard and video.user equals pj. It'll translate into a hash that then it hits the, the YouTube gem with and then the gem does its normal querying stuff. So Ambition doesn't need to know how to query YouTube. It just needs to know the interface of the gem and make it tidier. See, that seems like the whole point of an ORM to me. Like I, I used the active resource uh, a couple weeks ago, just, you know, post commit hook from uh, where I'm keeping a lot of uh, code stuff in order to hit the website and have a little project management type thing. And I thought, well, why does there even need to be an active resource? <laughs> Isn't that the whole idea of an ORM is you have this interface and then maybe it's MySQL in the back end or maybe it's another web service or, yeah, or maybe it's a YouTube. And yeah. as a developer, I should be able to use any of those with the same kind of interface. It's definitely interesting. I don't know how practical it is right now. I definitely want people to write adapters because what we're doing too is opening up the Ambition RubyForge project. So if you make an adapter, we can give you an ambitious, a blah, ambitious whatever resource, ambitious XML adapter gem that you can publish. And, uh, you know, it's all in Git, so we're all collaborating that way on the mailing list and whatnot. But yeah, it's, it's definitely an idea. I mean, the original goal was I want to try out Data Mapper and I want to try out SQL phonetically and I want to try out these other ORMs that are springing up. But I don't want to sit down and immediately spend the time to learn the query language that they have, the query API. I want to spend the time to learn how to set them up, how to point them in my database, and then start playing with it, and just slowly dip my toe in. And the way to do that is to just use Ruby's enumerable API, which is you know pretty much universal. So that was the that was the goal rack for databases. But it became obvious that you know it'd be cool to try this for other things, and there might be some really awesome use that becomes the de facto ambition adapter for this particular set. Like, it might not be this YouTube one, but, you know, maybe the Sphinx ambitious adapter really takes off and people start using that to query Sphinx because otherwise you'd have to learn this complex, you know, negation query language that, like the one the scene has or whatever, that you really don't want to take the time to learn for simple stuff. You know, you're always going to get to the point where, all right, I'm using Ambition for Active Record and I can't figure out this complex join and I need to do all this complicated set notation stuff. Well, you know, that's what SQL's for. Or that's what the Sphinx query language is for. But for the simple stuff, it's sometimes less characters and less mental overhead to just use this generic API that you're really familiar with. And yeah, exactly like what you said. There could be just you know one ORM to rule them all. Let's just put them all in their ambition. I'd be happy with that. <laughs> now, I'm embarrassed I haven't really used ambition that much. I think I installed it, but uh, I haven't tried it yet. But it seems like even 
testing would be a lot easier because now you're just working with Ruby and uh, you may not even need to hit the database at all in your in certain kinds of tests. Yeah, it's it's true. The uh, the oldest the older ambition line. I don't know if it's made into the adapter. It probably did. I'm just gonna go ahead and say. This has definitive, but with ambition, <laughs> because you're using this innumerable API, if you've got a bunch of mocks, you can set that as the collection that ambition acts upon. So in your code where you'd normally be writing the select call against the database, and it would be generating SQL and then running the SQL, well, you can set the special ambition whatever collection uh, property, and if it finds anything there, it'll run against that as an array. So the example of this is in your setup method, you just grab your, your pure um, object, no database behind them, mocks or stubs, you throw, you throw them into your, your user class, let's say, as the ambition source, and then all your normal code that would normally be running against a database runs against these mocks. So like with, with very, very simple to just cut out the database and start running your tests in pure in-memory land, which is really an awesome feature because a lot of people now are trying to totally eliminate database calls from their tests and are really proud when, you know, I've got these super fast tests with no database calls and it's all mock driven and stuff, but that's complicated. That's hard to do. And the reason that we have database calls in your tests is because it's so simple. It's really easy to just throw some fixtures in there and leave all your code the same and not write all these mocks and just test it. But, you know, the easier we can make that, the, the faster our tests will be and hopefully Ambition can help to that end. So yeah, definitely. Well, very exciting. I have to feel that maybe even uh, Steve Jobs is feeling a little bit of uh, a little bit of jealousy. The MacBook Air came out, and I think maybe he wanted a little association with a cool. You know, San he, ta- he, he talked to us about that, and we told him no. You can't use ERR. We told him no. You know, we have a definitive image. We have like this pink and black and white thing going, and if he's not going to use those colors, we're just just forget about it. It would have been a great partnership, but alas, we have it didn't principles. Work out. We have principles. This has been the Ruby on Rails podcast sponsored by Peep Code Screencasts. We have a new PDF on payment processing with the Active Merchant Library written by Cody Fowser. Thanks also to Rails Machine for hosting.